Romans chapter 11. And I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, ESV. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. How, another version puts it, how past finding out. For for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray again. Father, I pray today as this word is brought forth that you would you would bring out of it what you once said, this is your voice, this is your word. And I know by your spirit you will speak to hearts, you will say things past what I can say because you know the hearts and minds of each one in this hearing, whether in this moment or recorded and hitting the internet at some place, you know whose life you will speak to. So I pray, Lord, you speak. And I pray to just be as far out of the way as possible, yet still speaking and still bringing your word up, still interacting with faces and people in lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we look in Romans, if you if you we've been in Romans and 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 Randy has been preaching out of Romans for a while and and we're hearing so many things in Romans and Paul is teaching great depths of of theology and doctrine and really bringing some things out. But we hit this spot and spontaneously, out of all this, Paul puts these words in here. Oh, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Like you hear in Him... Like there's this sense of praise and worship and adoration. He's laid out all this doctrine. He's laid out all these concepts of salvation and what it means to be a believer and, and our identity in Christ. But right in the middle of that, he just like he's he's interjecting this praise and worship here. It is an expression, a it's you know, I, I look in my translation here and I see exclamation marks. It's not periods. Exclamation marks. There is exclamation in this. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. He's so far past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? He can't be told what to do or how to proceed from here. You you hear that? Like, he can't be told what to do. You will do this, and, and, or, or perhaps maybe you should go this direction instead of that direction that you went there. Well, I think that, God, it might have been more advisable for you to have done it this way than that way in this person, in this particular situation. There is not that. He cannot be told what to do. There is no counselor for him that he's going back to to look to to say, well, how, do, how should I proceed? He does not need that. He is. And that's it. Or, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? He can't be put into our debt. There is no place that we can say, hey, you you owe me for that. Like, you give me some credit here, you owe me for that. There's not a place that we can say that we can put him into our debt and say, you owe. No man can. No one has given him a gift. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Not most things, all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, in light of what we've seen so far in 33 through 36, in light of that, our salvation is not a transaction. Not a one and done. But it's a, for us, it's a, a transformation. Do you hear that? It's like, it is not a transaction, but it's a transformation. If it's a transaction, if it's a transaction, you will pull out receipts. You will say something like, I I did this. Well, I walked an aisle. I prayed a prayer that someone told me to pray. I got baptized. I did this thing. Now, I'm not saying that those things aren't a part of genuine salvation experiences. I'm not saying that they're not a part of genuine salvation experiences. Praying prayers, or or walking aisles, or kneeling at altars, or being baptized. I'm not saying that they're not part of that. 
But when we believe it is a transaction that took place between us and God, I did the thing, and so you owe me this salvation thing. I did something for this. I walked an aisle. I prayed a prayer. I got wet. Because that's what baptism is without salvation. It's just wet. Sorry to pedo-baptists and to a whole lot of other things, but that's not, no. Just no. It's just, you're just wet. We cannot put God into debt and say, you owe us because we did. So for us, salvation is not a transaction, but for us it's a transformation. But there is a transaction. And the question is, who paid? Right? The question isn't, you know, was there a transaction? There was. But who paid? Who paid? For this, we were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. While we, while you were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The debt was owed to God. You were. I, I was. You were dead broke, did not have a dime to pay, not one thin cent to pay on that account. You were dead in sins. Christ paid. He, His was the transaction. The priceless the priceless for the worthless. His was the transaction. He holds the receipts for the debt that was paid. Do you you see that? You don't. I don't hold the receipts because I didn't pay it. As a matter of fact, there's not enough good that any of us could do to cover that. The weight of our sin was too great for us to lift and throw off. It would always be too much for a man, for a human being to... We couldn't even handle when that sin came. also came with it death. Right? And we can't handle that. Can you and I handle that? Like, I can't handle that. The idea that, that, that life is short. The idea that it has pain in it and that there's brokenness all, I can't handle that. That's, that's a lot to take in. I can't handle the weight of sin, but Christ could and did. He holds the receipts. And here is, here is the wonderful death to pride. The wonderful death to pride. 
when he proclaims over your broken and repentant heart, paid in full. Paid in full. When he says that over that repentant heart, yours, mine, pride is swept away because you know that you didn't do it. You know that He did. You know that the weight fell on His shoulders and He shouldered it to the point of death. And then He threw it off His shoulders as defeated and rose from the grave to prove that He had power over it. Not just over death, but power over sin and death. Paid in full messes me up in a good way. When I look and I know the struggles that I have, when I know where I came from, when I see the depth (laughs) that sin could take me, and He says over me, Paid in full. That's not a light word. That's not a small thing. I know it's a great thing. Because I have seen, I, I've seen what this life is like apart from Jesus, even at its best, even doing goody good things. I have seen its destruction and I've seen its end and I've felt that. And if you know him, you know that too. Paid in full. But our salvation is not just a transaction, but a transformation. And it is an ongoing process for us of death to sin. It's an ongoing process of death to anything Anything that would separate us from God. From anything that would would drive us from His presence. And I know that we can talk about, it will be talked about naming sins. And, well, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is this a sin? Is that a sin? What are all the bad things? Give me the list of bad things so I know the things to avoid. You know, just give me that because I want to follow that. Well, I mean, is this a sin or is it kind of quite close or can I get away with a little bit of this or a little bit of that? And we're looking for, we tend to, as as human beings, we tend to kind of look for what can, but what can I get away with? Like what's going to be okay here? Because I'm looking for what I, what I can and can't do. Like do, right? Do, what do I do? What do I can't do, do, do? When When the gospel of Jesus Christ is done... We still live in the do. I know, but what can I do? I'm looking around, and again, I'm looking around in the flesh at stuff that happens in the world around me. Well, they're doing that. How much of that can I do and not be in trouble? Like, how much of that can I eat and not get fat? Right? Like, how much, how much of this can I watch and my brain not turn to pudding? How much, but what can, I'm looking, what can I get away with? 
because I'm looking over here at the at the world and I'm waving to my left here at the world what can I what can I do that they're doing and still not be in trouble and I think that messes us up as a matter of fact I know it does because God is saying to us, and, and I, I think we hear that in Scripture, death to sin, alive to God. So instead of looking over here and going, what, but, but what, like, what, how much of something can I do before it's a deal? But looking up here to God, now, doing a 180 and looking another direction and saying, God, you designed me. You created me to glorify you. What do I do that's in your design and plan? And how do I do that thing that glorifies you? And he says, I will turn you loose in that atmosphere and you will have freedom and you will live because your intention and your attention is what I made and what I created Instead of looking at what has been distorted and twisted and misused. So death to sin is turning our backs on, but what can I get away with? And turning our eyes to, how did you create this? What did you create me to do? To glorify you. So then all the the movements and mechanisms of man that we get to participate in in this world, in this life, we want to do those to glorify you. And we will look at those things and we will ask the question, I know you designed this and I'm living in it. Is this glorifying you? And if we see, not by feelings or impulses but by the word yes this does glorify god then we can do it with full freedom and full joy knowing he made it and we're striving to do it the way he designed it and then we got the joy that comes with participating in his created order and his believer restored relationship so we don't have to look back here into the world anymore and try to figure out how we can negotiate being with these people and doing their things the way they do them because that's not our goal. But our goal is, hey, you designed this, you made this, and when you made it, Garden of Eden, pre-fall, you said it was good. I want to go there. That that's my goal. That's my I want to do that. I don't want to be doing this. 
I want to be doing that. I don't want to look to the world, turn to the world, and figure out what I can get away with. I want to turn to God and say, what did you design, and how can I do that? Because I know that glorifies you, and that gives real joy. And that is where freedom is. This is not freedom. Looking at the world and what, from one season and one generation to the next, what you can get away with is insane. What they say is okay from one minute to the next could just be horrendous. Do you know that what that is is bondage to the things that they feel or think or do or want or whatever? It's bondage. But our freedom is in Christ. So when we look to His ways and we look to His things, and He says, this is my design and plan, walk in it, there is freedom, there is joy, there's no more looking at what I can get away with, it's what can I enjoy in Christ? What can I live up to? Instead of what can I live down to? And in light of this, this ongoing process of death to sin, and in light of what God has already said about who can be His counselor, who can put Him into debt, everything comes for, from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. To Him be glory. In light of the fact that you can't do it on your own, you couldn't make a difference, but He did. Verse 1 of Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, because of all this, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, do you hear that? He's not saying, I appeal to you on your merit and goodness as a human soul. I appeal to you by your actions and all the good things that you can do. I appeal to you. No. By the mercies of God. Do we understand that salvation that has come to us is His mercy and grace? When we realize that that's been given to us in Christ, it is far greater than anything that you could earn on your own. Because all we could ever earn was death and more of it. All we could ever earn is condemnation and more of it. But in Christ, those things have been pushed away from us. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Also, other versions say, and I think they all go well together, your spiritual worship or your reasonable service or your rational service. It's like, in light of what Christ has done in your life, like it totally makes sense to be a living sacrifice. Like it is not against, you know, biblical logic to be a living sacrifice. 
It's illogical to the human mind trying to work things out and not getting there. But having been given the grace and mercy of God and seeing His work on the cross as completed and that debt that was ours removed and the receipt in the hand of the Savior saying, it is finished. And He looks into our life on an individual one by one as He saves them way and says, paid in full. Paid in full. Now then it's just biblically logical that we would turn this old thing around toward Him and that we would offer this life as a living sacrifice to Him because He paid for it. Like He covered it. There was no way we could do enough, but there was every way that He could, and He did. And that gift given to us then spurs in us, uh, I definitely want to go do this because you did that for me. Like we understand that in human terms. If you went someplace and they said, I'm sorry, sir, I'm sorry, ma'am, but the cost for this tax or whatever is $50 million. And I'm thinking that we're pretty safe to say that in this room, I at least know for sure in my bank book, there are not enough zeros behind anything to cover even a portion of $50 million. So I know there's not that there. But we know in human terms if someone said, $50 million will cover this tax, this debt. We're like, no. <laughs> okay, well, there's going to be payment for that. And if somebody walked into the room where the whatever agent was sitting in front of you and said, <clears throat> hey, I, I got this covered. Writes a check. They take it to the they take it to the bank because fifty million dollars they're gonna call, they're gonna make phone calls. Right? There's gonna be phone calls made. Hey, is this real? You know, or is this guy just hanging paper here? This is and then the other bank on the other end goes, I'll go, yeah. <laughs> There's there yeah fifty million that's a drop in the bucket to what's in this account, and then you come back and it's like hey it's paid to that person. I'd be like okay well, what do I owe you here? I got it. Don't worry about it. I've got it and then some. I've got it covered. I will be in debt to you for the rest of my whatever you want. I'll do the things that you want me to do. Can I can I come over and like uh, clean your house? Okay, I'm not very good at cleaning houses. Uh, can I come over and change the oil in your car? Can I come over and do... I'd be like, I'm forever indebted to you, whatever it is. In human terms, we understand that concept. The sense of relief and the sense of gratitude kind of would compel us toward that person. What can I do? The same concept and even greater exists when we think about what Jesus did. And what we owed was more than money could ever... There was no 
number behind commas that could cover what sin had done to us and where it had put us as far from God as possible. And he covered that debt because he had it and then some. And then how much does that compel me then to present my life as a sacrifice? But the scripture says more than just a sacrifice. It speaks of living sacrifice. Salvation. Salvation is an ongoing process. Salvation is an ongoing process. Salvation is been, being, and will be. I have been saved. There was a moment in time where the full weight of my sin met the full grace of God and full repentance was like, I cannot live under the burden of this sin anymore. I can't live trying to be enough. I am tired of trying to do enough to feel like it's going to be okay. It's a miserable rat race. It's a, it's, it is a gerbil on a wheel, always moving but never going anywhere, feeling. And it was where that was met. And I was saved. So I've been saved. But all along that process, again, it's not one and done. Check the box. Walk the aisle. Do the thing. Hey, I did the thing. See you. Free. No. And I am being saved. Those that He saves, He does not leave living the same life that they were living prior to salvation. He will not, thank you God, He will not leave us alone. Because this past for us is destructive. It is sticky and nasty and it will pull and hold and suck and draw all of the life out of you. He does not leave you. He will not leave you alone. Because what He's bringing to you is not just out. He's not just bringing you out of the situation. But He's bringing you to Himself. He's bringing you to His glory. He's bringing you to His presence. We know that in His presence is fullness of joy. But in His presence, what isn't there? Sin. So you think He's just going to, come on up in here, I don't care. Soil the carpeting. Roll around in your rags. It doesn't matter to me. My grace is limitless. Just get on up in here. I'll hug your nastiness and just accept it. And no. He will not leave us alone because His desire is to purge that from us because it is not good. It is not good. And Christ is restoring the good that the Father proclaimed from the beginning. 
it's good. And Christ is restoring that goodness. So in restoring that goodness, He's going to drive out the sin, the things that would hinder us from being close to Him. Child of God, we are in the being saved part of the process. And in the end, praise God, we will be saved. At the end, we will be. It'll be, it'll be done. It'll be seen to the end. Because that is our Father. We are being discipled and disciplined. And you can flip that either direction you want. We are being disciplined and discipled, discipled and disciplined. Dis- discipline is both correction and bringing into good practice. Do you hear me? Discipline is both correction and bringing into good practice. This is really important. If all that happens is correction, then once the correcting agent is absent or it is sensed that the correcting agent is absent, then chaos. Parents, come on. People that have been with a youth group before. You walk out the door, and the minute they think you're not there, all of the idiots will rise up and and consume the space. And the ones who are like, I'm, I don't think this is right, will just silently just kind of sit there worrying for them and then laughing and thinking, boy, am I glad that's not me because when the person comes back in, they're going to die. That's going to happen, right? So it's if all that happens is correction, then once the correcting agent is absent, then there's chaos. What God brings to us isn't just correction. And, and believers, I make the illustration of a classroom full of kids. Sometimes we have a classroom full of kids. Because the minute that we don't sense that He sees, we kind of get in these spaces where the, the worst of things happen for us. They just, they do. I'm speaking, and maybe, maybe it's just my experience, but I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, we, we can all be ridiculous about how we look at God sometimes. I'll illustrate briefly. When I worked at the line plant, was I first had a cell phone. And every night when I got off work, I would call Carrie. And it would be a conversation we'd have. Also, sometimes it'd be like those moments of, you got to address this with the kids kind of moments. Like parenting over the road kind of thing. And so... I'd get on the phone and I would talk to her and I knew, because cell towers were a little more sparse, I knew that if I passed a certain place on the highway on 61, that's it until Perryville or somewhere close to there. 
So I would try to say everything I could and, okay, well, I'm going to stop at Perryville. I'm going to do, um, hey, I'm coming up on the thing and it's going to go away. So love you. Bye. So I'm leaving the plant one day. I think Carrie and the kids had gone on an outing someplace. So I wasn't going to be able to call and talk to her. And I couldn't text because they cost money back then. So I take off driving. So it's like, this is a perfect time for me to pray. Right? I'm going to just like, Lord, <clears throat> thank you. I'm just in this good space. And thank you for this day and your blessings. I'm going to go home. i got things to do. And I'm excited about it. And I'm coming up on the place where I lose signal. And it's like, oh, i got to rush this prayer because I'm going to lose signal right here. And it's like, <laughs> wait a minute. I don't think you have the concept of prayer. <laughs> like you've sort of morphed it into... Uh, cell service, and it doesn't work that way. And that's funny, but sometimes that's kind of how we get when we're thinking about or, or down in a space someplace that's just not so pretty for us. You know, some of the places, in, and, and each one of us kind of knows where those are, right? We know the, the chinks. We know the holes. We know, ah, oh, this is a struggle for me. And it could be different, but we know it's like when we get in those places where the struggle is, that's typically where we forget. Not that he's watching, but that he's there. And when we forget that he's just there, chaos. Until it's all over, and then it's like, oh God, I regret doing that thing that we just feel so. And we come back, and he's like, you realize um, he was never gone. He wasn't off someplace else and didn't see it. When it's just discipline, and that's just correction is all that happens in discipline. Once the correcting agent is absent or we feel like the correcting agent is absent, then chaos ensues. But it's both. And i got a couple of scriptures I want to share, and, and we'll kind of close this this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. This is Hebrews 12, 1 through 11. This is the correction part. So I'll turn to it just to... Hopefully familiar, but... Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, the sticky stuff. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you hear the direction of our gaze being turned from the sticky sins to the glory of God in Christ? Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. 
And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So you hear in that correction, 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 correction. And at the end, then you hear trained by it. We're, we're not just, no, 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 nope, no, smack, 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 don't, 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 don't. There are those moments where God says, no, don't, no, don't. But he says, but look up here. This was, this way is going to destroy you. And I'm not going to let it. So there might be a little pain for a moment, but I'm saving you bigger pain if you don't listen to me. I taught my kids that early on. It's like, hey, you're going to get a little sting on the rear end for, you know, typically it was bigger things. It wasn't just, we didn't just spank the kids for everything. Wrong, whack. No, it was big things like, you you lied. Like, that's not, you lied. That's serious. Not, you spilled milk on the table. You were acting like a kid or whatever. It's like, all right, you just get a rag, clean that mess up. You know, stop doing those stupid, stop doing those stupid things and this won't happen anymore. But you lied, you're going to get tagged. Because lying is going to lead to destruction beyond end, beyond comprehension what lies do to people. And I've met people who could not stop lying and they didn't know the truth anymore. They did not know the truth anymore. You couldn't find truth in them. They were lost in a world of lies and truth was not available to them anymore. The scariest place I've ever seen somebody get. And everybody laugh about it. Man, the guy lies about everything. He, there's just not a truth in him. It's like, that, y'all, that's not funny. Because he's lost truth. It's not there anymore. And there's no end for him but bad. So we correct. It's like, no, you're not. This is not happening. You're not going to lie. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to steal. You're not going to... We're, we're dealing with these things dead on, head on. There was discipline. Because I love you. I don't want to see you. A little pain now, yes. A little sting, you know, and a little correction. It's going to save you a lot of sting someplace else. I'm going to do that in your life. But also it's practice. 
bringing us into practice. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beat in the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. And here's what he's here's where he's turning the illustration from from the athletic field to the hey practical living in faith field. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. I will correct those things which for him and for us the the measure of correction is the word of God his design his plan his his structures i discipline myself god wants us not just educated but skilled you hear me saying that god wants us not just educated dusty you hit at it not just regurgitating i can regurgitate all the scriptures you ask me a question what is the answer I can give you chapter and verse. Thus saith the Lord. La, 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 la. And then walk away from giving the right answer and live like I didn't just give the right answer. Education is great, but He wants us to be skilled in applying what we know to reality, to the real walk, to the real places that we go. It is instruction and application. We understand from this word, we understand these truths, therefore we will live this way. We understand what this really means, not just what it says in sort of a forensic approach to looking at all the words. No, we understand what this says. We know what this means. And we're going to apply it to living. And I'll finish with this. Romans 12, 2. And just, if you want to chase, just put up the, the hole that you got up there. I, I'll just read it all. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not, like you saw me waving to the left, do not be conformed to this world, looking around at it, trying to figure out what to do based on what they're doing. Do not be thrown into being shaped by that mess. But be transformed, because that is the work of the gospel of Christ. It's transformative. It's transformation. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Now I'm going to finish with the time statement. If we look at that statement of time that I talked about at the first, the let's just be generous and say it's the 0.9% of the time that we have in the week, uh, y'all just got the 0.9%. You did. I mean, like, just let's just be practical here. It's been, been about an hour of this. It adds. So I praise God if you hung in all the way through, then your attention span held to that. I do, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm really going to say that that's the Lord just saying stuff and doing things, not, not me. But I know I want to make it interesting and not anything else. Because it is interesting, not because I am, because it is. Um, well, let's just say we did that 0.9%. And if this is all we had, just, just if, if this was it, then are we conformed or, or transformed? Because there's 99.1% of our waking time left. What are our influences in that 99.1%? What are the voices? Because the truth is, whoever has the most airtime, whoever has the most airtime has the most influence. Whoever has the most airtime in our eyes, in our ears, has the most influence. So, the challenge to us, what am I giving my attention to? You know, that, does that mean, okay, you got 99.1% and I want to see every last bit of it with your face in the Bible. Listening to Max McLean reading it to you off of your Bible app. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. I, I'm not trying to say I have an expectation of anything. Like, look, this is a challenge to me. I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. This is a challenge to me. I know some of the weakness up here in this head that I can get so zoned in on what I'm doing, whether it's fixing a dog kennel or, or wiring up stuff to make things where I can get so focused on those things and there's not a ton wrong with being diligent and faithful in all the things you do. I'm not trying to say that, but I can get so single-minded on something that I'm just like, that's all I think about. And even in my off time, I spend a whole lot of time just trying to decompress from that and run into something that is like, I just need something to kind of distract me from the stress of all that was thinking about. And it's just easy to get through a week or several days and then finally, just go, whoa, where? What just happened? Where, where was I? The challenge that God is bringing to me, and I'm sharing with you, is let this mind be in you that you will give airtime and the most influence time to those things that turn you Godward toward His design and His intents and His purpose.
and in the end, his joy. Then the things that kind of run you into the spaces. I'm not, I'm not even like, I'm not even going to like go to my left and talk about sin. Duh, that's the no brainer. Like, don't go down here. Now I'm talking about just the living life and doing stuff on up to the things that glorify God and they're just like fully focused. But I, I challenge you, I, like I am being challenged, just like, just, just nudge the needle more and more into those things so that you are not, so that I am not molded and shaped by something that's coming from the world and drawing my attention away from the glory of God, the purposes of God, and the plans of God, and the sovereignty of God. And you know what those things are that attack the sovereignty of God. You watch enough news, and you're going to think that God's not sovereign anymore, and it's all going to fall apart. He fell off the throne, and that's the end of it. And we're just sitting in a corner, biting our nails, waiting for the end, fiery judgment and everything else. And we are not, uh, kind of hearkening back, we're not doing go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything I've taught you. Stop. I urge giving all the airtime to those things that will distract you, dissuade you from seeing Him as sovereign and God and King and Lord and lover of your soul. And, and just move that. I pray that in all these things, our affections are stirred to Him. Our affections are stirred to the things that He has made and created that are there for us to run into and enjoy fully. And that becomes our focus. I want to be more in love with Jesus. I just do because I know what he's done. Because I know what this was. Father, I pray that your word carries weight and changes us. Because I know in every piece and part when your word speaks, it doesn't come back empty. But it accomplishes things beyond what we can imagine, beyond what we can fathom, beyond what we can understand. Because that is you. You, you, you are the one who can make something from nothing, not us. You are the one that can take dry bones and cover them with flesh and bring them to life. Not us. From you. And through you. And to you are all things. May you be glorified forever. And may we be in the spaces enjoying you being glorified above all else. Delighting in your glory. And, and leaving any remote thoughts of our glory in the dust where it belongs. Father, have your way this day and stir us again. May these words, may these things, may they challenge and change and shift and move our minds that we might come to a full knowledge of the work of the cross, of the life in Christ, 
of the eternal salvation that you are working in us now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.